All right. Hello, everyone. Hello, friends. We are... And non-friends. <laughs> <laughs> We're back again. Doing Maybe. our thing. Doing our thing. Right, Luna? Some of us get a haircut. Yeah. The feline member of us, us get right a haircut. Now. Half a haircut. Three quarters of a haircut. We're almost there. We've had many haircuts in the past. Yeah, days. she doesn't really like it, and we're dealing with a small human razor. So, <laughs> it's taking, and I don't actually know what I'm doing, but it's not too bad. A small human razor. <laughs> Not like a... I know what you're mean, but it's like... Like an electric razor, but it's not like a big one that (laughs) shaves more hair than a half an inch. Yeah. So yeah, we're um, still in quarantine. Mm -hmm. We're on episode six here. We've been watching a whole lot of 90s nostalgia movies slash movies with Chris Evans. Yes, also that. Good time. Yeah. Trying to entertain ourselves. All of the, like, high school movies from the late 90s, 90s early, early 2000s. She's All That, 10 Things I Hate About You, what else did we watch? Um, She's the Man. <laughs> there were a lot of things we tried to watch, too. Yeah, there's a lot of things we tried to watch that we could, we watched Mean Girls. Yes. Really fun. It's been fun. My birthday was the other yes, day, too. Martha's birthday. We went to the strip. Yes. And it was... And they were like, there isn't any place for you to park. Yeah, everything's closed. You can't go in any of the parking lots. Everything's blocked off. There's hardly anyone out, whether it be on the road or on the sidewalk. Just some cops. Just cops, basically. Yeah, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. Spooky and empty. Just one of those, yeah, considering the strip is always just It's like when crazy. you go to the mall late at night. Back in a day when people went to the mall. <laughs> this mall. is a dated reference. <laughs> but we're here, episode six. Episode six. To entertain you already. So, I'm Brittany Vitrino. I'm Martha Bartlett. And this is But, but first, first, Let's, Let's Talk, Talk Nerdy. Nerdy. Yeah, we are having our first line in Kugel, Summer Shandies. Summer Shandies. Of the summer. Makes us laugh a little bit because it was like blizzarding in Massachusetts mm-hmm. earlier. Yeah, today is about, um, May what? May 9th? 9th. And it's like it's 100 degrees. It's my good, good BFF, John's birthday. Yay. Gay best friend. Happy Shout birthday. Shout out. I just pounded multiple lining googles and they were all for you, John. It's all for you, John. <laughs> That's a reference day, that I'll bring up in another yeah, episode. Know. It's fine. We'll figure it out. One day I'll see you again when I can take an airplane to Massachusetts. Mm, <laughs> Maybe. When we can leave our house. But all right. You're first today. I am first today. And I'm going to be talking about one of my most favorite animes of all time. Revolutionary Girl Utna. <laughs> oh, God. I, She's going to start crying. No. There's going to be a lot of crying. There isn't because we're not talking about their story. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Specifically today, I'm going to be talking about the four uh, student council members, Miki, Juri, Seonji, and Toga, and what they represent within the patriarchy. My main source, besides having watched... Utna probably 300 Martha times. cries every time. It's true. I cry every time. And not like... <laughs> not just like a little tears, crying. Like the loud cry that you would do at a funeral for yeah, like a best friend. It's embarrassing. It's a, it, it should be embarrassing. Mm. You should be embarrassed. Well, I have a lot of feelings about fictional lesbians. <laughs> but yeah, um, my biggest source for this was an article from heroinproblem.com, which is heroin with an E. <laughs> Don't um, do drugs. <laughs> yeah, don't do drugs, but do 
love female heroes. But do love them femmes. Mm-hmm. And it's called The Four Horsemen of the Patriarchy. Um, nah. And I was like, yes, 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 yes. And actually, so the article, um, it's by Caitlin, and I couldn't find any other names, and she's just Caitlin. Sorry, Caitlin. Caitlin. It is. But yeah, Udna is, like I said, one of my all-time favorites. It is, along with Sailor Moon, one of the first like times I ever saw a queer representation where it wasn't like a horrible stereotype. What are you talking about? They're cousins. Wink, 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 wink. You think <laughs> wink, I didn't wink, immediately wink, do wink, that? Weird hand holding thing. <laughs> They're just incestuous cousins instead of lesbians. That's totally more normal. I remember my first kiss. It was with Brad. Like, why did you pan over to Haruka? But it's important. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about it today, isn't, though. But it is still important to me. <laughs> But yeah, they were stories about heroines and fantasy worlds, but there were also high schoolers were the main character and how they were like navigating all of these things, but also their lives. Uh, When I first watched Udna, I was probably 14 or 15. Also, so uh, Udna first ran from 1996 to 1998 in Japan, and it started to release here in the States in 1998 on VHS. Oh, yeah. VHSs. Oh, yes. Be and kind, then rewind. Shortly after that on DVD. When DVDs came out, yeah. it came out on DVD. It was like right at the cusp of when things were changing. So the later episodes are not on VHS. So when I watched it, I watched like three or four episodes here, three or four episodes there. And then I watched the fucking movie, which is like a big old mindfuck. Had no idea what was going on. Thought everything was weird. And then later on in college, I rewatched everything and had a thousand emotions. And then pretty much ever since then, I've watched it at least yearly. So I haven't watched it in the past year, but it was probably about a year ago. But yeah, when I watched it in college, I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, I, I missed a lot of this, obviously, mm-hmm. since I watched like... When I was five. <laughs> yeah. When I watched a couple episodes here and there... It's like me rewatching Neon Genesis. Yes. I was like, I'm still confused and it's still really fucked up, but whoa. Very, very similar. <laughs> Where you rewatch it and you're like, oh, oh, I would never have gotten this when I was a kid. Also, I need, I need to rewatch this two or three times before I can mm-hmm. really analyze it. Yep. But yeah, it has a lot of symbolism in it. The man who made it. Uh, Ikuhara. He worked on some of um, Sailor Moon, so he worked on the like main part of Sailor Moon where you meet Uranus and Neptune, and then he wanted to do something similar with Uranus and Neptune, and then they were like, uh, we're going in a different direction. He was like, okay, and he changed their characters slightly, and then he made Utna. I love him. So uh, the most, most basic sum up of the story is, and this is taken from Wikipedia, because I didn't want to have to do it myself. After her parents died, Udna Tenju, which is the main character, was given a rose-engraved signet ring by a traveling prince. The prince promised Udna that they would one day meet again. Inspired by his noble demeanor, Udna decided to become a prince herself. Years later, Udna's search for the prince leads her to Otori Academy, where she enrolls as a student. She finds herself drawn into a dueling tournament with the school's student council, whose members also wear signet rings identical to Utna. Victors of the duel become engaged to Anthihimamiya, my love, and a mysterious girl known as the Rose Bride, quote-unquote, who possesses the power to revolutionize the world. Utna emerges victorious. Forced to defend her position as the Rose Bride's fiancé, she decides to remain in the tournament, 
In order to protect Anthe from other duelists, and they grow closer, and then she learns that Anthe is connected with the end of the world, and then everything gets really fucked up. The duels that she has, basically uh, how you win the duel, everybody has a rose corsage pinned onto them, and then you win the duel by slicing the rose off of somebody. You don't, like, kill them or anything, it's just... It's just that. So I just wanted <laughs> they to- didn't take it that far. They nope. took it far in every other way possible, yeah. but not there. This is not, we're not trying to kill each other. We're just trying to sort of mm, complicated. <laughs> we'll get there. But yeah, so here on out, there are going to be some really big spoilers, but it's been out for a while. So that's life. Deal with your shit. And also we're only going to be dealing with this interpretation of Utna. It's a lot of symbolism, so there's a lot of different interpretations of it. So early on, you can tell that there's something wrong with Otori, which is the name of their school. Uh, you know, the whole dueling thing kind of tips you off. Um, the idea of Anthe being the Rose Bride and being kind of a possession. Um, it shows up in their student council and their treatment of Anthe, and it shows up in Akio. Akio is a representation of the patriarchy as a whole, and I could go all in on that, but that would take so very, very long, we don't have and time we have for that. so much longer to go from here, so we will not do that. But yeah, he is the quote-unquote end of the world who arranges the duels. I know the answer to this, mm-hmm. but just for everyone else. Yes. The whole school doesn't know about these duels. This is like a student council. So the only people who know about the duels are anyone who wears the rose signet ring, the same one that Utna has, and also Anthony. Okay. Mostly everybody that goes there thinks it's just a normal. They think it's just a normal school. Okay. Just to clear that up. So it's not just like dueling school. But yeah, Akio is the end of the world who arranges the duels. Um, he is the source of power in the school, so he's the acting chairman. So he has, like, he's like the head of the school as far as power goes, like, job-wise. And then he also has control over Anthe, which is the true source of power in all of Otori. So if Akio is the patriarchy, the duelists all make up different parts of it, even though they're just more like pawns. So starting off with Seonji. Seonji, green hair. Mm-hmm. Like, give me descriptions. I got you. <laughs> yeah. Seonji is second in command in the student council, and that's only done by age, so it doesn't really matter. But I'm sure he feels really insecure about it because that's who he is. Yep. He represents violent control through abuse. And um, you hate him right off the bat because you see him treat Anthe as if he owns her. The first time you see him at all, he's fighting with Anthe about something. And then he slaps her across the face. And Udna is like, what the fuck? And he goes to strike her again. And before Udna can get over there, Toga grabs his arm and is like, no, we're not going to fucking do that. And he ends the confrontation. Uh, At this point, Utna is joined by Wakaba, and Wakaba comes over and is like, oh, that's Seonji, and he's very popular, and he's the student council vice president. And he's a fucking dickbag. Yeah. And then she says... There's no way that Seonji would date Anthe because Anthe doesn't matter and Seonji is important. And it's just like the gross culture behind all of it. And just high school. Yes. Exactly. We've been watching a lot of recently. Yeah. <laughs> she has glasses and her hair's in a ponytail. True. That's fucking true. 
The real theme to everything is glasses and a ponytail. Make you ugly and unpopular. But really, as soon as you take them off, you're fucking drop dead gorgeous. Have you thought about getting contacts? No, just <laughs> kidding. Please keep your glasses. I love glasses. Unless they're also, bad glasses. I sell them, so. <laughs> Buy glasses from me if you have shady glasses. <laughs> and then the next time that we see Seonji and Anthe, they're at a meeting of the student council when the topic at hand is their relationship, specifically the fact that Seonji is treating her poorly. And Toga's like, specifically, he says, don't abuse the bride, Seonji. And Seonji's like, the bride and I are just a happy pair of lovebirds. Mm. And even though um, from Anthony's body language and expression, you can tell that she's not And happy. I just backhanded her. Yes. That too. So she's very representative of a domestic abuse victim in this. It's very clear to draw those parallels. How many domestic abuse victims feel similarly helpless? Despite the best efforts of their loved ones, they can't escape their abuser. The bond of dueling rules could symbolize any one of dozens of possible legal, social, or cultural reasons a victim may remain bound to her abuser. He's also a dick to walk about right off the bat, which is where Udna steps in and challenges him to a duel. And he sees that they have the same ring. He's like, oh, you're a duelist. And he's like, yeah, I'll duel you. And you can just meet me at the dueling arena. She's like, okay, normal things. All of this is normal. I know what you're Mm -hmm. talking about. All of this is Seonji's fault for not asking somebody about something, which typical. And then Utna kicks his ass with a wooden sword because she is a queen and Seonji's a fucking baby. And after Utna wins, he ramps up his assholeness. Um, he thinks that Anthe should belong to him regardless of the dual rules and regardless of Anthe and regardless of anything. Which, gross. Ew. At the end of the student council arc, which is the first, like, 12 episodes, he kidnaps Anthe and takes her to the arena against her will um, when there isn't any duel scheduled, which is expressly forbidden. And Seonji and Utna arrive at the arena to have a duel. Anthe is in this giant rose coffin thing, which symbolism, symbolism, symbolism. Seonji is looking for the power that Anthe brings to him. And Utna is actually there to risk her life to find Anthe and make sure that she's safe. She's the only one who actually gives a fuck about Anthe. She does end up rescuing Anthe. The arena returns to normal. And Seonji still is like, fuck you. I will have what I want. And he um, actually lashes out with real violence and tries to actually kill either Anthe or Utna. It's not like specifically clear. His attack is blocked at the last second by Toga jumping in the way and taking the blow for himself. Privileged man. Which, also, it's not like his intent is benevolent or anything, but that will come later. So, basically, his whole thing is he doesn't care about Anthe as a person, obviously, at all. Only what she represents, a source of power and a sense of security in his masculinity privileged male yeah just the fucking gonna keep saying that the whole time (laughs) it's gonna come up a lot um so we are talking about patriarchy we are privileged men the next one we're gonna talk about is miki so miki is the blue-haired one he has the sister he's the youngest member of the student council outside of nanami who doesn't really count she's just there to be like hey i'm taking toga's place because i want to feel important i love her more than anything but we're focused on these four right now 
he's pretty normal as far as like you see when you first as far as, as, far as um, any person at Otoro revolutionary goes. girl Utna goes yeah. <laughs> he seems like a relatively nice guy he's nice to Utna and Anthe he's like the innocent foil to Toga and Seonji unfortunately that can lead to very black and white thinking which is very easily manipulated Miki's whole deal is he's an accomplished pianist, so you find him playing the piano all the time in the piano room. He takes credit for the famous piece, The Sunlight Garden, which is the piece that they play through all of it, um, and he claims that he and his twin sister, Kazue, composed it as children. And then, like, he talks about his childhood a lot, and he reflects on the memories fondly, but also there's, like, a little bit of bitterness there. And when they really press him about it, he's, like, basically... basically I'm pressing it to you. It's my fault that things got ruined. Bitch. And the anger he has towards himself is basically because he and Kazue were supposed to perform in front of a lot of people on a stage... And then he got sick beforehand and she was forced to go on solo and she was like, mm, no, I'm not doing this. I can't do this and flood the stage and then never played piano again. And Martha understands that feeling. Go back to episode two about say, Dazzler listen and to listen the to Dazzler that. episode. Kazue and I have some things in common and that's just one of them. <laughs> but that's that's basically what we're led to believe. But things are never as they seem in it. You realize that his sister, Kazue, is different than what you think of. Uh, so Miki represents the virgin slash whore complex. So people who think you're either a virgin or you're a whore and you're... High school students. Exactly. <laughs> and your value is based on that. Oh, high school so awful. I know. We've also watched way too many teen movies. Why did we do this to ourselves? <sighs> I'm so glad I'm not a teenager. Oh, God, me too. Ugh. But yeah, so you first run into Kazue because she bumps into Miki as she's um, emerging from the piano room and she knocks all of his sheet music on the floor. And um, so far, every time you've seen him, he's been like a pretty nice guy. And then all of a sudden he's like, I gave up on you long ago. And he's all mean and pissy. And she's like, mm, shrug. I don't care. He's looking. Twins. Yeah. They're weird. They're always weird. He's looking at her and she's like, obviously I wasn't in there to play the fucking piano. And uh, Toga's in there, and he's, like, half undressed, and she's in there to fuck Toga, which... You know, whatever. Whatever floats your boat, Get girl. Yours. You do you. But also, she comes out of the room with Toga, and Toga's like, hmm, shrug, and Miki's horrified. <laughs> I don't know what happened. She just fucking mm-hmm. started unbuttoning my shirt, and uh-huh. I'm a whore, so I said sure. I was gonna say. And I said go for it. These things happen. You guys do mm-hmm. it. You be that whore you want to be, Toga, as long as it's consensual. Yes. Basically... From this interaction, you figure out that Miki's relationship with his sister wasn't just disturbed by her not being able to play the piano one time. He's fucking pissed at her. His whole personality changes around her. So obviously, whatever his problem with her isn't just because there was a botched concert and he was sick. It's not just something stupid like that. In Miki's eyes, basically, she went off and instead of pursuing playing piano with him, she's having sex with boys and going off and doing her own thing. And that makes her less. That makes her fall. And that makes her Makes her a whore that isn't worth anything. I was going to say that makes her a whore in the virgin whore complex. Yes. That makes her the whore that they don't care about because she deserves it. Mm -hmm. Which is not okay. No. But yeah, so on the other side of this, so you've got your virgin whore complex, is 
Anthe. As the Rose Bride, she is whoever you want her to be. So as the Rose Bride, um, he walks in on her playing piano and he immediately projects all of his longing about what Causeway could have been for him and to him onto Anthe, which is weird and creepy, but not surprising. When he first is thinking about her and when Utna is talking to him, he's like, we should free Anthe, we should dissolve all of this shit, it's terrible. And then... Our good, terrible friend Toga comes in and is like, Hey, Miki, you know that Udna could make Anthe never play the piano again. And this is basically representative of Udna could make Anthe not pure. Not what you want her to be. It's basically the... Virgin whore complex. (laughs) Well, it's the, the, yeah, Mm -hmm. if you don't sleep with me, then you're a whore. Yes. Yes, that's exactly what It's when is. you say, when a guy says hi to you and you ignore him, then all of a sudden like, you're a bitch and a slut and a whore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gross. Um, and Toga, Toga says to him, if you don't protect the things that are precious to you, people will take them away from you because he's terrible. And um, Miki asks Anthe if she would stop playing um, the piano if Udna told her to. And of course she would because she's the Rose Bride and she has no choice in anything. She has to do what her fiancé says. Um, it doesn't matter that Utna would never be like, you have to stop playing piano. You have to stop doing anything that you enjoy. Utna is really like, please do anything you want to do because yeah. you're a person. He's like, I can't control you and it makes me really uncomfortable to try. <laughs> it's uh, I can control you, but it makes me really uncomfortable to try. Yes. <laughs> is actually the case here. That's exactly <laughs> um, So because she has the capacity to take that away, um, Miki is like, fine, I'm going to fucking duel you. And uh, he wants to control Anthony and keep her as this ideal woman who is good and pure and not what his sister has become. Because Utna threatens that, he pushes to duel her. As is the case with all of the duels in Utna, Miki's sexism is the source of his downfall. He's a skilled fencer, he fences under jury, and um, he nearly defeats Utna. And then Anthony, at one point, when they're, he's going to win, is like, go Utna, and he's startled that Anthe doesn't need his protection, that she might be happy with the person that she's actually with, and Utna wins the duel in that moment. And this is basically what culture needs to realize about women, that women don't need protection from their own sexuality, and that they can be, that fighting for their honor is a useless endeavor. And we also just don't need protection. No, leave us the fuck alone. We can handle ourselves. Mm -hmm. We are people. Yeah. The last piece of the puzzle of Miki falls in his like second real episode. You see Kazue playing the piano with some friends, and she's fucking terrible at it. She's very, very bad at it. And um, her friends are like, oh my god, you ever played? And she's like, oh yeah, Miki always covered for me. Um, I was always sloppy, and he just made it so that we were both good. No wonder why she ran off stage. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So Miki has made, he's projected this image of her where she's the musician, she's the passion behind the work, she's the reason why everything worked together, and it's really just, he has this weird idea of her, and she never liked that even at all. Next, we have my sweet, lovely girl, Jury, and internalized misogyny. So, I love Jury so much, I love her, but she is very much the version of i'm not like other girls mm-hmm. she uh, i'm special 
Yeah, she's the only female member of the student council. Um, she seems to be one of the only members of the student council who's really, like, earned something. Um, she's the best fencer. Shocking the female had to put the work forward. I know. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? The female and the lesbian, so you can't even be like, oh, well, She slapped Akio. her way to the top. Yeah, she, she's like, no, uh, that's not how that works Ew, get here. your dick away from me. Please keep away from me. <laughs> You're gross and I hate you. She's very angry, but she keeps that down inside and she hides a lot of that with um That's me. healthy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, coping mechanisms. You've got to love them. They're always <laughs> terrible. get some therapy. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to say who needs the most therapy out of all of them, but Jerry is high on the list under possibly Shiori or maybe, well, Anthe, but that's a different story. She hides her anger a lot with um, pretending to be aloof, pretending not to believe in anything. Toga and Miki will discuss things at the meetings, and she just lies back and makes like sarcastic remarks and just doesn't give a shit. The only reason she wants to possess the Rose Bride is to basically disprove that her power is real and that, prove that she's just another teenage girl. And she jokes that it would be really useful when she was taking an exam, but uh, it's not something that she believes in. Um, and then you have Utna, and Utna comes on the scene. And Utna is very much like a, a young jury. She's beautiful. She's good at everything. People really like her. She's sweet. A young jury by, as in Utna's, what, a year younger than her? Maybe two. <laughs> oh, no. Utna's 15 and jury's 17. Mm-hmm. You're so young. Yes. Martha, you're ancient compared to me, then. I'm a thousand. <laughs> uh-huh. But yeah, so Utna comes on the scene. Utna's very much like what Jury used to be. She's she's good at everything and she's adored, but she's also like there to believe in things. She's hopeful about things. She's the optimistic version of Jury. She That goes away with age, Utna. Yes, it does, but <laughs> this is That's why Jury isn't feeling that way anymore. <laughs> age and heartbreak. You know. <laughs> Oh, Jerry. Oh, so real so life. Issues. I love you so much. Jerry wants to like Utna when she comes on the scene, and then she realizes that she won the Rose Bride with her powers without ever really understanding the rules. She won her ring from a mysterious man, and she hopes to someday meet this man again, which Jerry's like, ugh, gross. I agree. Same. <laughs> Jury is fucking pissed about this. She's like, I thought you were basically going to be somebody who I could relate to, somebody who's in the same sort of boat as me, and it turns out that you're naive and stupid, and I don't want to deal with that. And the fact that your like luck and power is making this happen isn't something that I believe in. So during the series you never really see Jury interacting with a female character in like a really friendly manner outside of a flashback because she was hurt so long ago by a, probably her only like real friend and B the only person that she ever really loved. She kind of closed off from everything. The animes are so dramatic. I fucking know. They're all like five and they're like, I'm so broke. You haven't even lived yet. So basically, she saw a potential ally in Utna, and then she figures out that Utna just got her ring from a boy, and the only reason that she's dueling is to possibly meet him, and she feels that as a betrayal to herself. Before the duel, 
Jury tells Utna, if you win using a miracle, you deserve your conceit. Which, Utna is the least conceited character. She's not conceited at all. She, she's like, yeah, I'm good at sports and things like that. So it's like, hmm. The conceit that Jury is thinking of is basically her belief in her prince and her belief in the power of miracles. And that's how she came to possess the Rosebride, using some power and not by herself. So Jury attacks Utna during their duel and she's like going for it in a way that you really never see Jury do and you watch Jury fence quite a bit like she's the head of the fencing club she's the best swords person by far but she's too angry and she's making stupid mistakes because she's too angry because she's too angry being Mm -hmm. emotional exactly acting on impulse exactly 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 and then she knocks Utna's sword from her hand, and Jury goes to cut her rose down, and Utna's sword falls and perfectly impales her rose in front of her. And it's like... Convenient. Yes. And Jury... Loses it? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Jury has a lot of problems with miracles because the girl that she loved was like, believe in the power of miracles and they will know your heart. And then she was like, just kidding, I love this other boy. And then it was all very complicated because nobody actually really liked Ruka. Yeah, so Jury's vicious attacks on Utna, both in and out of the dueling arena, are representative of one of the most insidious elements of the patriarchy, internalized misogyny. So she that hates was Utna. A quote. It is. Yeah, so if you were wondering, if something sounds like it's really well-worded... It, it's the a quote, fact that you use the word insidious. insidious. I was like, that is not the <laughs> word yeah. you use. <laughs> Thank you for letting me know. Yeah. She hates Utna not for who she is, but for what she is. A young girl who is willing to admit something as silly and girlish as competing in a high stakes competition in hopes of finding a boy. In denying the power of miracles, she holds claim to the belief that she achieved her status entirely through her own merits denying that anybody is held back by their gender or race or orientation or identity. Um, Bitch, wake up. It's like you didn't get here purely by yourself. And also, even if you did, you're not better than Utna because you're more of a cynic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are cut down because of their gender or race. Or (laughs) We have to be in this together because like, when they drive us apart, we're just going to fuck things up more. Mm Mm-hmm. And then this leads to our last member of the student council, Toga, who is the president. I know. Toga's a dick. (sighs) Yeah, Toga is the second in command after Akio. Um, He knows from the beginning who the end of the world is. He talks to Akio and, like, they correspond through the whole beginning chunk where they're like we don't know what's happening he knows what's happening he's smart and he's manipulative and he's very aware of what he does (laughs) yeah he's incredibly aware of like everything that he does and everything that will happen because of what he does and of course we've got Udna who is just like the flailing disaster bisexual who just does anything that like she's like oh I thought about doing this so I did it I thought about this, and I thought about that, so that's what happens. Because of this, he is the most dangerous member of the student council. Psychopaths are dangerous. Yep. And he's very nearly Udna's downfall. And Togar represents gender essentialism. Basically, men are men, women are women, and you can't mesh between the two. Well, yeah. 
So basically, men have their things, women have their places. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You can't. You can't be the prince. I'm the prince. Yes. Like you're a shitty prince. You're you suck. Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. So the first time you see he meets Utna, he introduces himself. So she's talking about herself. She's like, "I'm a totally normal girl," and he jumps into the conversation and is like, "I'm Toga." Student council president and totally normal boy. Like, oh, God, I fucking hate you. And he runs his fingers through Una's hair. Ew. I know. It's obvious that this has worked out for him in the past because he's very confident about it. And Una slaps his hand away and is like, ew, gross. Exactly. Don't Mm -hmm. fucking touch my hair. Yeah. He feels (laughs) entitled to her time and attention because he's gotten that from a lot of people and also because he's a man. Ew. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and when she refuses to grant it to him, he, it just throws a him. fucking hissy fit. No, it, it like strengthens his resolve. He's like, oh, this is going to be more hard work and I'm fucking hyped about it. I'm going to have to push to break you and I'm going to do it anyways. Like, ugh, so fucking gross. During the beginning, he invites her to a dance and he sends her this pink dress to wear. Which, during all of it, she's... And she also has pink hair. Don't send a pink dress to someone with pink hair. (laughs) That is too much. As a person with actually factually red hair, Toga, (laughs) you should know this. (laughs) Also, this was the 90s. Everything was terrible. That's true. But yeah, so he sends her an invite to this dance and also a dress to wear to this dance. And then she kind of has to go because Anthe is also invited. Because they say that they're going to give Anthe some award or some bullshit thing. There's some dumb excuse to get Anthe there with the fake dress that Nanami sends her that dissolves when you get it wet. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Carrie thing going on. Exactly. Nanami's such a fucking she's child. So, I was just going to say she's such a fucking bitch, but that's the way to put it too. Yes. So he sends her this pink dress. She kind of has to go to support Anthe because Anthe has no other friends. And when she gets there, he's like, oh, you're so beautiful. Um, he showers her in compliments for being more traditionally she's feminine. she's like, ew, you're gross. She actually is like, gets a little blushy and stuff like that. And then she's kind of like under his thrall. And then... Anthe screams because her dress is disintegrating. Because her dress disintegrates. And that's when Utna breaks out of it and rips off her dress, makes a dress for Anthe out of a tablecloth, and then dances with her as her prince. And I'm like, fuck you, Toga. But yeah, so the purpose of all of this is basically he wants to obtain the power of the Rose Bride, but also he wants to destroy Utna's confidence and force her into the role of the princess. He kind of forces everybody into a uh, archetypal rule. He's the prince, obviously, the leading man, the hero. But yeah, so because there can't be two princes, because there can't be a female prince, he has to break her down and put her into a box. Princes, you actually can be two princes. There can be as many princesses as the king and the queen yeah, pop out. There's lots of princes and princesses. <laughs> but he's like, I am the <laughs> prince charming and, uh, you know, I am the hero of this. There can only be one hero, one leading there man. There can only be one! Me. And I think Utna would be better William as... William is so ugly. The princess. <laughs> I hate you. He's so ugly, though. And Harry's really hot. One of them is a reptilian. Well, no, one of them is probably not Charles's and is probably the, like, stable boys. That's exactly what I said. <laughs> <laughs> where are 
are we? Um, where somehow we got onto the royal family? Ah, uh, two princes, two blah blah blah. I don't remember any of the lyrics of that song. <laughs> I so don't I even know that it. song. You probably do, but I'm singing it so poorly. <laughs> That's how it goes. There can't be two princes. That's where we were. <laughs> there can be, though. Yes. Toga. Which, you know, Toga's a fucking dummy. Dick. He doesn't understand these things. And he wants to be the one important person, and everybody else can be the other archetypes that he fits them into. So he starts to manipulate Utna. So he pits her against Nanami, and then um, Nanami loses, and she cries against Toga, and Toga gets to look chivalrous in front of Utna. So she approaches him in the Rose Garden, and he outright states that he's her prince, the one who gave her the ring. Ugh. I know, gross. And at she the beginning- keep that info to herself. Yeah. That's why cops don't tell you everything. That's why you shouldn't be 14 ever. <laughs> you should just never be under 21. Just skip that age. And yeah, because this is later on in the season, and he's worked her so thoroughly, she starts to believe it. After he said all of this, he's like, I'm your prince, this and that. Then immediately he challenges her to a duel, and she's like totally surprised by it. And he has been building to this the entire time. So she fights the normal way that she would. She fights ferociously, and Toga, she remembers at one point, she's like, oh, he's her prince. And then that's the moment where she gets beaten by him. Can you not say no to a duel? So if you say no to a duel, I think you automatically lose. Oh. And that forfeits Anthe. Stupid rule. It is. It's real dumb. So he wins and he's like, oh, how lucky for you. Now you no longer have to be caught up in these unfathomable duels. Ew. And then to drive the knife deeper, he has Anthe tell Udna that she is happy being the Rose Bride. Basically, the message that he's giving to her is, you were wrong. Feminism is a lie. Women are happier living this life and like in their prescribed gender roles. You were trying to force your ideals onto a blank slate, and she was taking them because that's all she can do. Ugh, he's just the worst. So Utna starts to wear her girl's uniform after this, because she feels like she kind of gives up, and she's trying to be sort of normal. And Toga's a fucking dickhead, too, Anthe the entire time. He also starts to try and date Utna. He asks her out on a date and this and that. And then the queen of everything, fucking Wakaba, comes in and is like, um, this isn't normal. This isn't normal for you. Your sort of normal is not normal. And it's like something's been stolen from you and made you a coward. I don't know what that is, but if you can Wake get it back, the then fuck get up, it. please. Yeah. And these words basically snap Utna back into herself and she goes to fight Toga. Toga uses Anthe's power in like a weird, gross way. She goes to fight Toga once more for Anthe. And then Anthe is watching from the side as a passive observer through the whole fight. And she's thinking that she pities Utna. And she's wondering if she doesn't know that there's no point in doing this and that there's no, nothing ever changes in this and that. And then she sees Dios, who is the prince that Utna originally was talking about that gave her the, and he's basically the representation of what a prince should be he's kind of silhouetted over her and she recognizes that there's a princeliness there even though she's a woman is there something under my butt <laughs> i don't know how my nail file got under your ass <laughs> it's just eating it <laughs> nom, 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 nom. but yeah so she slices the flower off of fucking toga and she says i've taken back what i was 
So that that weird spell that Toga has with Anthe breaks because her emotions break it. He gets beaten because Juri sides with Utna and gives her her sword, and also because Anthe sides with Utna with her emotions, which is the first time that you see Anthe siding with anybody in any like real way. And you, this is the first time you see her making like a conscious decision. So it's really fitting for the most consciously misogynistic of the group and manipulative for him to be taken down by all of the females there. Bam, 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 bam. Psychopath. Fuck you, Toga. Misogynistic also, psychopath. I was going to say, he's like the baby misogynistic psychopath. We didn't even get into Akio, which we are not Ugh. going to do. Yeah, let's not go there. I don't I don't have the ability right now. I don't have now. the emotional bandwidth for that. <laughs> but yeah, so that is the student council as representatives of the aspects of the patriarchy. Uh, this isn't necessarily what Ikuhara had in mind when he wrote it, but I thought it was a really good fit. And I thought it was a really interesting article. So yeah, that's that. Yay! Yay. I feel really good about my life right now. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Now that we are off that depressing note, yeah, oh, let's go on to another depressing note. Oh, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> At least it isn't a um, patriarchy depressing note. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Thank heavens for small favors. <laughs> All right. I had so many issues picking this topic. I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. I was like in the shower last night. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll do this. <laughs> I have to pick something now. I need, I have to do the research tonight. It's up till 2 a.m. <laughs> we got it. We figured it out. So what I am going to do today mm-hmm. is the actual truths behind The Little Mermaid. Oh, no! <laughs> As we all know, Disney is wonderful. And we love it. Mm -hmm. But it definitely takes fairy tales and makes them way happier and nicer and cheerful than they actually are. And most of them are really fucked up and deranged. And I chose The Little Mermaid probably because, I don't know, it's really fucked up. More fucked up than I thought it was when I was reading synopsises. Pretty unhappy. Yeah. It's a lot of just like little things I didn't realize were part of it that are just fucked up. All right. We all know the story of the bubbly redhead mermaid that dreamed of becoming part of the human world. Disney released this animated classic, The Little Mermaid, on November 17th in 1989, which is 22 days after my birthday. Oh, the year of my birth. So I was 22 days old when this movie came out. Oh my goodness. And this basically started the next decade of the best Disney movies. And no one gets Disney quite like 90s kids do. Mm. I don't care about all the little children running around Disney World. I understand it way better. Yeah, fuck you kids. (laughs) Fuck you guys. I had the best Disney movies. (laughs) We did. uh, Bitch. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we all know Disney movies um, have their happily ever afters. And though there's always an antagonist causing trouble for the protagonist, they are brightly colored, they're fun, and they have a shit ton of catchy music. But most of the fairy tales are based off of true, uh, off of other tales that are (laughs) true stories. True stories. (laughs) True stories about the mermaids. Uh, but most fairy tales are based off of dark, morbid, and pretty fucked up tales from hundreds of years ago. 
The Little Mermaid, personally for me, is on the lower side of the list for Disney's Same. classic animated movies. Especially as an adult. As I say, especially those that are labeled as Disney Princess, especially as an adult. I personally find Ariel as a brat and legit does everything that a 16-year-old should not do. And if this was real life, would probably end up dead. Or cut but, open by scientists. <laughs> yes. But uh, she's a terrible role model. That's what I've always said. You're <laughs> a terrible role model for children. I'm not going to do that, Daddy. <laughs> I'm going to go run off with people I don't My know. My life is different, Daddy. <laughs> but the songs are great. Max is great. Yes. He's the doggy. Yes. You guys don't know. I know he's actually what you're about. And it does have one of the more fucked up origin stories, mm. which is why I picked it. Disney did take the basic skeleton of the story and a few of the facts, but made it way more child-friendly. So the original The Little Mermaid was written by Danish author Hans Hans Christian <laughs> Anderson. It's Anderson. I, I Hans across America. Hans Christian Anderson. Anderson. Hans Anderson. Hans, Hans Christian Anderson. <laughs> Hans Christian Anderson. And published on April seventh in eighteen thirty seven. So you know, a little under two hundred years old. Mm-hmm. So to start out. They have no names in Hans Christian Andersen's book. Ariel is just the Little Mermaid. Prince Eric is just the prince, etc., etc. So I specifically, once again, I know I did this last week with Natasha and Natalia. If I'm referring to Disney, I try to refer to her as Ariel. And then if I'm referring to the original version, it's I'm basically oh. just saying the Little Mermaid. Yep. Which is mostly what this is about. It's more about her origin story, but with comparisons to yeah. the Disney You are version. a human person. You've yeah. probably seen The Little Mermaid. This movie came out 30 years ago, and if you haven't seen it, get the fuck away from me. <laughs> so, in both stories, The Little Mermaid is the youngest princess of the Sea King, who has many daughters, all daughters. In the original story, though, she grew up listening to stories of the surface and the humans that her grandmother told her, and she was always fascinated. Now, in the original story, on a mermaid's 15th birthday, they're allowed to go to the surface whenever they please. So as soon as they turn 15, they can go up to the surface, the water surface, whenever they want, which is a big difference of um, the like Little Mermaid. Disney. Yeah. 16. Yes. And that's one other small difference. Ariel is 16 and this takes place when the Little Mermaid is 15. Mm-hmm. Um, they can't like go straight up to the surface. They can't get caught and all that stuff. But if they want to go up and do stuff, they can. It's allowed as soon as they turn 15. What they say is usually it's super exciting the first few times you go up and then it gets boring and like when usual. You sneak into a movie and then you're yeah. able to go and to the yeah. movies by yourself. The first few times you drink and all yep. that stuff. It's just you know, as soon as you can do something. As soon as you legally like, can oh. do it, it's just not as exciting. Boo. So both movies and fairy tales are similar for a chunk of the beginning of the movie and when Ariel first goes to the surface and when she meets Eric or sees Eric. So in The Little Mermaid's first night to the water surface, she sees a ship in celebration. And what they're celebrating is the prince's 16th birthday. Ah. She's obviously immediately intrigued by the prince, just like she's immediately intrigued by Eric. 
And there are fireworks, there's song and dance, she's super into it, she can't get enough of it. And then, like in both versions, the weather changes, a storm happens, and the ship ends up sinking. She saves the prince, gets him onto the beach, she sits with them, plays with his hair a little bit. Probably sings to him a little bit la, because la, la, they la. specifically say that they have beautiful voices as mermaids. She was stolen from sirens. They probably. And then as soon as she hears some people, she swims off, but Good. watches them from a distance. She hides herself in the sea foam or something. She doesn't sit on the rock and wait for the splash of the wave to dramatically. <laughs> per- I need something to put <laughs> my hair back. Wait, you know, in. you know, hair. let's go. <laughs> So this is where a huge difference takes place in the movie, in the Disney movie. He's just found by his dog and his little butler bro there, whatever he is. kind of the ideal. Yeah, you know. But in the origin story, he is found by a young girl and she goes and is like, oh, fuck, this dude is actually still alive. So she goes to get help. I thought I was going to poke a dead body with a stick. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Brings back help. And when he wakes up, she's one of the first people that he sees. And she's the one that he thinks saves her life because he has no, uh, no idea of the Little Mermaid. No recollection was not... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Martha's mouth isn't a perfect Oh, like this is the most shocking thing I could ever tell her ever. I felt like I knew this story, but I guess I don't. See, there was a lot of it that I thought I knew too, and I was like, there's so much more that I didn't know about this story. And I read it all. I didn't I didn't quote my sources, but I read the whole short story, The Little Mermaid on eastoftheweb.com and then obviously just Disney's Little Mermaid. So I read that's what I was doing last night when you knocked on my door. I was reading it. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So he wakes up to this young girl and no idea. But just like in the Disney version, (laughs) what I wrote. Ready? 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 You ready? Yeah. She doesn't know when, and she doesn't know <laughs> how, but she knows something starting right now. Oh, no. Watching you. No, I'm going to stop there. And she's infatuated <laughs> with the prince. Someday she'll be part of your world. Just drown princes. That's what they're there for. <laughs> they're a mermaid. That's your job. That is your job. Why can't that so, be my job? I think that's my only reference to the songs, but I had to. It was a really good fit. I hate you so much, but also I sang along, so you I did. can't say it. You have to go with it. Okay. The Little Mermaid, just like Ariel, mm-hmm. ends up having this print statue. She finds it. Oh. In the, yeah, so they, that's that's part of the actual story. That's so interesting. Apparently, in the original story, they all, all the sisters have their own little, like, gardens, and they can do whatever they want in them. So she brings the statue to her garden and basically just worships it and fawns over it. Any person who's like, I'm going to carve a statue for my 16-year-old should be put to death immediately. So she basically worships it. She's not happy and she's super love-struck. So she keeps going to the surface, but she just keeps going to the beach that she dropped him off at, Mm -hmm. which is not where he lives. So she never sees him. And she basically just gets sad and depressed 
doesn't really talk to anyone. Normally, when the mermaids go up to the surface for the first time, they come down and they are, are sharing everything that like, they oh, saw and are super thing. excited. Like, I saved the prince and now I'm sad She doesn't forever. talk about anything. She stays quiet. And she doesn't have flounder. She does not have flounder or Sebastian. She's just not herself. It's not like in fucking the Disney movie where they're like, don't you see, daddy? She's in love. No, she's like, I'm going to go cry she's over like, this statue. Sick. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was the loudest plop ever. It was just my seltzer. Yeah. Okay, so eventually she cracks and she ends up telling one of her sisters because she's just so depressed and not feeling good. Mm-hmm. And her sister knows a mer person that <laughs> I don't know if it's a merman or a mer woman, so it's a mer person. Mer person, mer there. Um, who actually knows where to find the prince in his castle. So they show her where it is, and so after that point, she basically just goes to the prince's castle every night, watches him, and pines after him. And is basically just a weird mer person stalker. You will love me. <laughs> Eventually, one night she's talking to her grandmama. Do you remember what? that from Anastasia? Yes. Grandmama! I'm Anastasia. <laughs> <laughs> Except for I have meshed that eternally with <laughs> Obi Wan Kenobi throwing his robes down. <laughs> What is happening? They're the same meme culture. This is where we are. Oh, what it's like to be a millennial. Mm. Okay, so she's talking to her grandmother. And she's asking about humans. She's talking about humans. And then her grandmother ends up telling her this story about how mermaids don't have souls. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's not what I expected that to go to. <laughs> oh, no. Ugh. <laughs> oh. Trade your legs for a soul. I would trade my soul for legs for a <laughs> you fish have tail? legs. A fish tail. <laughs> I would trade my soul to be a mermaid and drown people. So because souls are fake. <laughs> the little mermaid asks, "Is there anything I can do to win an immortal soul?" And the grandmother replies, "No." <laughs> this is exact quotes. So <laughs> the story right now. No. Unless a man were to love you so much that you were more to him than his father or mother. And if all thoughts and all his love were fixed upon you and the priest placed his right hand in yours and he promised to be true to you here and hereafter, then his soul would glide into your body <laughs> and you would obtain a share in the future happiness of mankind. He would give a soul to you and retain his own as well. But this can never happen. Your fish tail, which amongst us is considered so beautiful, is thought on earth to be quite ugly. Like she says earth, but you are part of earth. Yes. Um, <laughs> they do not know any better. Oh, they probably and mean on like actual factual l- yes, like, land, touching earth. Land. 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 Uh, <laughs> normal. Okay. Oh, there was another thing I wanted to say a second Hold ago. on, I'm not done with the quote. 
They do not know any better, and they think it's necessary to have two stout props, which they call legs, in order to be handsome. So that's the quote. Hmm. Also, that's just a really big euphemism for getting married and doing it. Yeah. (laughs) Now, in the Disney version, Ariel seems to want to become human because she is obviously obsessed with land, not Earth, because she's part of Earth. (laughs) But she is clearly head over heels infatuated in love with Eric. In this original version, it's clear that she is infatuated with the prince, but at this point, she becomes obsessed with this idea of having an immortal soul. Which is very different. She seems like she mostly, yeah, she loves the human world as Ariel, but she wants to be with the prince. Though she does want to be with the prince in this, Mm -hmm. she is... It's more she about clings to this a, idea, like yes, of an immortal soul. Oh, you can have my soul. I'm not doing anything <laughs> with it. Basically, they're like mermaids don't have immortal souls. They live for like 300 years and then turn into sea foam. And that's way better. Humans don't live that long, but they have immortal souls, so they just keep I don't know whatever being a ghost yeah, or something I else. Know. Go some to other dumb I don't know whatever shit. you think an immortal soul is. This podcast does know. not believe in ghosts. So just like in Disney. The Little Mermaid goes to see the Sea Witch, but instead of getting one of the best Disney villain songs that uh, there yes. is, we get this really fucked up deal and some mutilation. Oh, no. Yeah. So this is where I was like, what? Because I didn't know any of this about fucking the original story. This is what the Sea Witch has to offer her. She says, this is once again, direct quotes from the book. Mm-hmm. I will prepare a draft for you. With which you must swim to land tomorrow before sunrise and sit down on the shore and drink it. Your tail will then disappear and shrink into what mankind calls legs. You will feel great pain as if a sword were passing through you. But all who see you will say that you are the prettiest little human being they ever saw. You will still have the same floating gracefulness of movement and no dancer will have ever tread so lightly. But as every step you take, it will feel as if you're treading upon sharp knives and that the blood must flow. If you will bear all this, I will help you. But think again, for once your shape has become like a human being, you can no more be a mermaid. You will never return to the water to your sister's or your father's palace again. And if you do not win the love of the prince so that he will forget his father and mother for your sake and love you with his whole soul and allow the priest to join your hands that you may be man and wife, then you will never have an immortal soul. The first morning after he marries another, your heart will break and you will become foam on the crest of the waves. But I must also be paid, and it is not a trifle that I ask you. You have the sweetest voice of any who dwell in the depths of the sea, and you believe that you will be able to charm the prince with it also. But that voice you must give me. The best thing you possess will I have for the price. So, Uh, the Little Mermaid agrees. And after the sea witch makes the potion to turn her into a human, she legit cuts out her tongue. No! So. (laughs) Gross. No pretty singing. No trapping her voice in a shell to use against her later. Nope. 
just cuts her fucking tongue out and I don't know, keeps it in a little glass vial. I don't fucking know. But has Ariel or the Little Mermaid's tongue. Keeps it in her pocket. You know, it's fine. Save it for later. I don't know. So now she's tongueless. And I literally wrote, now the tongueless mermaid goes to the beach by the princess castle, drinks the potion. She feels as if she's getting cut in half by a sword, probably dying, and then she passes out. She wakes up naked, but with legs. And just like in the Disney version, she's found by the prince. Though technically in the Disney version, she's found by Max. But that's I mean, sometimes we have dogs instead because that's better. <laughs> Sometimes dogs are better. Yeah. And by sometimes, I mean always. always. (laughs) When he finds her, the prince, he takes her back to the palace. This is a pro-dog podcast (laughs) and an anti-ghost podcast. (laughs) Okay. So, just like the sea witch told her, Mm -hmm. literally every step she takes feels like she's walking onto knives. And as someone who has walked on a nail before, that sucks. Every step she takes... She feels like she's walking on knives and her feet bleed. But she is beautiful and she moves and dances with uh, more grace than any other maiden. So she basically just sucks it up because she wants the prince's love and she wants a soul. At this point, she's basically desperately in love with the prince. She goes with him everywhere. Ignoring her bleeding feet. I guess they can't see the bleeding feet. (laughs) And just see the beautiful and grace. And... Though he loves her, he loves her more as a little sister and actually calls her dumb fondling because she can't talk. (laughs) Oh, no. I actually say because she has no fucking tongue. That's my exact quote there. Jesus. Yeah. So this is where things are drastically different from the Disney and the original version. One night... He tells her the story of the girl who he thinks saved him. And this is, once again, a direct quote from mm-hmm. the short story. He's saying this to her. You are dear to me, and you have the best heart, and you are the most devoted to me. You are like a young maid whom I once saw, but whom I shall never meet again. I was in a ship that was wrecked, and the waves cast me ashore near a holy temple, where several young maidens performed a service. The youngest of them found me on shore and saved my life. I saw her but twice, and she's the only one in the world whom I could love. But you are like her, and you have almost driven her image out of my mind. She belongs to the holy temple, and my good fortune has sent you to me instead of her, and we will never part. So he's like, hey. You remind me of You remind me. (laughs) No. She reminds him of the actual girl that he saw, who he thinks saves him. And he's like, I really care for you, but I love her. But I feel like you were sent to me to remind me of her. Mm -hmm. Of course, she's like, well, fuck. I got to save myself here. I saved you, not this bitch. I love you. And if you don't marry me, I'm going to fucking turn into some sea foam. So, give me your immortal soul. <laughs> give me part of your soul so we can both have souls because I want a soul and not to be sea foam. 
But she can't tell him all that because she doesn't have a tongue and she can't talk. So, unlike in Disney, her sisters come to visit her often. They'll come up to the surface and wave at her. And sometimes even her dad, the Sea King, and her grandma will pop up on the surface and say hi and give her a wave. So they sort of know what's going on and that she can't come back. Eventually, the prince's parents are like, hey, you need to get married because it's 1837 and you're a prince. <laughs> that's, you're like, that's what happens. And you're 16, so you're way past your prime. Mm-hmm. Rarely going to be able to have kids. <laughs> Doesn't work the same for guys. So he's checking out some princesses in neighboring kingdoms. And our little mermaid is silently freaking out because she's like, oh, fuck. That's usually how I freak out, too. Oh, (laughs) fuck. Well, she has to, because she has no tongue. You have a tongue. Mm. But he tries to tell her that it's all going to be fine. He's like, hey, look, they already told me I can go meet this princess. If I don't like her, if I don't want to marry her, I don't have to. It's totally cool. And he's like, honestly, I'd rather marry you if I can't be with that girl that saved me on the beach. So she's like, okay. There's hope for me yet. I might get a soul and not be seafoam. Shocking twist, though. Mm-hmm. The twist. neighboring princess oh. is the girl on the beach Damn. that he thinks saves him. What are the fucking odds? <laughs> the girl on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> and they basically get married the next day. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so the night of the wedding... The Little Mermaid knows that the next day she's going to die of a broken heart and turn into sea foam. So she basically is like, fine, I'm just going to have a fucking grand old time at this wedding and go out with a motherfucking bang. Girl? Yes. And instead of just doing that and then going with it, she ends up getting visited by her sisters Mm -hmm. that night. And she notices... That all of her sisters have had their hair cut into probably, I'm imagining, super cute little pixie cuts or something. Oh God, I hope they all have it. And so they tell her, direct quote once again, mm-hmm. we have given our hair to the witch to obtain help for you that may not die tonight. She has given us a knife. Here it is. See, it is very sharp. Before the sun rises, you must plunge it into the heart of the prince. When the warm blood falls upon your feet, they will grow together again, form into a fishtail, and you will be a mermaid once more. Mm. You will be able to return to live out your 300 years before you die and change into sea salt foam. Haste then, he or you must die before sunrise. Our grandmother moans for you that her white hair is falling off from sorrow as ours fell under the sea witch's scissors. Kill the prince and come back. Hasten. Do you not see the first red streaks in the sky? In a few minutes, the sun will rise and you must die. So her sisters give up all their hair so to get this knife for the sea witch. So if she kills the prince, she will become a mermaid again and just it's all live good. her life. Or she will turn into sea foam. Someone's dying here. <laughs> so she takes the knife from her sister's. And so they're on a boat, just so you Motherfucker, know. Motherfucker, don't they're you ever forget. <laughs> <laughs> uh, goes into this, like, tent they set up for the now prince and princess that are married. Mm-hmm. 
and the prince is sleeping and she is like, I can't kill him. I love him. And really, the two things she wanted was him and an immortal soul. So by doing this, she doesn't get either of Mm -hmm. them. So she throws the knife into the ocean all dramatic life, I assume. I assume. Kisses him on the head and then dives into the ocean, turning into sea foam. Now, this is where I always thought the story ended, but it doesn't end there. There's more? There's more. There's another page. She's already dead. But this is not the end. But this is not the end. Because of this act of kindness or something i don't fucking know she i would have stabbed the prince she is i mean that's why we but we also wouldn't have given up our fucking fish i was gonna say we also would have just been i need my fish legs we also would have just stayed mermaids to kill stupid men obviously so she ends up getting a chance to become what they call a daughter of air basically what this is is you're now you're in the air and if she doesn't fuck it up too bad, she can earn this eternal soul in 300 years. Okay, so she still gets to kind of live yes. 300 years. So, yeah. So, she ends up, if she can can do this, this kindness act of not killing the prince for herself, then she can in turn earn her eternal soul, which is mostly what she was after. His junk was just part of it. It's just there. <laughs> You know, and that's where it ends. It ends with you not knowing, but it ends with her being like, okay. Okay, I'll do this. And they're like, and if you can't, then you're going to be seafoam. Like, well, I guess I'm going to be seafoam no matter what. Or you'll just be a fucking daughter of air forever. Yeah, because there's a way to, like, subtract years from your sentence or add them on if you fuck things up. And I don't, it has something to do with bad kids and good kids and and you know yeah shit like that that is the original story of the little mermaid so there's no can't believe it gets worse after she dies there's no sea witch cramming severed tongues into her mouth to sing and trick the prince that's good that would be gross the sea witch is just there to be a bitch she's like oh you need somebody with power i am the convenient basically she doesn't want to take over the fucking throne she's just like i'm here to be a fucking sea witch which girl after my own heart Um, she doesn't end up trying to use her tongue against her Puts it in her pocket and leaves it there. there. No happy ending. Mermaid does not get the prince. But he does get his girl. So there's that, I guess. Mm. But yeah. So that is the fucked up fairy tale that Disney based its Little Mermaid off of. And actually, one of the first things it says when it goes to the credits Mm -hmm. is based off of Hans Hans Christian Christian Andersen's Little Mermaid. And I'm like, very weakly, because that is very fucked up, and the sea witch literally cuts Ariel's tongue out of her mouth. We heard about a Little Mermaid. That's all. (laughs) End story. Yeah. (laughs) As soon as I read that the sea witch literally cut her tongue out, I was like, what the fuck? Why are you like this? I don't think I'd ever read that one completely, too. Because I have a Grimm's fairy tale book, so I've read all of the the Grimm's fairy tales, the Disney mm-hmm. interpretations, and then the so actual say, I ones. I think there's one on our bookshelf, and I can see it. Right yeah. There. But that was one, since it's not a Grimm's fairy tale, I hadn't actually read. Um, I just knew, like, parts of it. And then I was like, oh, this is deeper than I thought. But, um, yeah, everyone, thanks for joining us. Episode six. 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 
We are officially on Apple Podcasts, so you can listen on anything you normally like to listen to on We Are On Podbean. Make sure if you do have Apple Podcasts, you help us out, you rate, review, you follow, all that good stuff. By follow, I mean subscribe. (laughs) We do have an email, so if we ever get anything really, really wrong, we actually want you to keep it to yourself. But if you feel compelled to tell us. Oh, no, flip touch. We have a problem. Keep your fucking legs on your side of the couch. They're very long. <laughs> we do have an email. It is just, but first, let's talk nerdy at yahoo.com. So you can complain to us whether I read it or not is a yeah. whole other story. We'll look at it and put it in the trash, yeah. but thank you. Yep. And then also follow us on Instagram. Once again, just at, but first, let's talk nerdy. Yeah. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. But hey, everyone, stay safe, wash your hands, and we will see you next Tuesday. Next Tuesday. Clink.